Our scripture lesson this morning comes from the Gospel of Mark. We're going to be in the first chapter, uh, verses 21 through 28. This is at the very beginning of Jesus' ministry in Galilee. They, it's Jesus and the disciples who he has just called, they went to Capernaum. And when the Sabbath came, he entered the synagogue and taught. They were astounded at his teaching, for he taught them as one having authority and not as the scribes. Just then there was in their synagogue a man with an unclean spirit, and he cried out, What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? Have you come to destroy us? I know who you are, the Holy One of God. But Jesus rebuked him, saying, Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit, convulsing him and crying with a loud voice, came out of him. They were all amazed, and they kept on asking one another, What is this? A new teaching with authority. He commands even the unclean spirits, and they obey him. At once, his fame began to spread throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let us pray. Gracious God, may the words of my mouth and the meditations of our hearts be wholly pleasing and acceptable to you, O God. Amen. So when someone decides to become a pastor in the Presbyterian Church, there are, as you would imagine, a series of steps that one must take. One of these steps is that you have to submit to a very thorough two-day psychological evaluation. Now, church, you are probably very grateful for this requirement as you would understandably prefer to only have a moderate level of crazy in your pastors. When it was my turn, I dutifully signed up for my evaluation. I showed up for my two days of poking and prodding, and I awaited the final report that would be given to my presbytery committee that oversaw my ordination process. Now the results, most of my crazy was in the normal range, and so there were no red flags except for one area. My results showed that, that uh, and I quote, the subject likely has difficulty submitting to authority figures. Excuse me? Who are you to tell me <laughs> that I have difficulty submitting to authority? I angrily objected, there, therefore confirming my diagnosis. But I was told not to worry that that most people my age indicate the same attitudes toward authority, that it was a generational thing, it turns out. Authority is defined as the power to give orders, to make decisions, to enforce obedience. For thousands of years, there were clear structures of authority in Western society that were rarely, if ever, challenged. Church, government, family, were all authoritative in ways that, for better or worse, had a deeply stabilizing effect on human societies. Now, as we know, this began to slowly change over the last several hundred years, 
But the most dramatic change happened in the 60s, my parents' generation. And since that time, all external structures of authority have been steadily eroding. In its place, a new belief in the ultimate authority of the self has emerged and taken deep root in our culture. For the past 50 years, it has not been unusual to see a button or a bumper sticker that boldly proclaims this question authority. Raise your hand if you have seen that around. Yes, we have. Then there are those who wisely hedge this just a little bit, because come on. <laughs> Let's be real, right? Whatever happened to authority? What happened to authority? Let's take this question back to Capernaum, back into today's reading from the Gospel of Mark, where it says, And immediately on the Sabbath, Jesus entered the synagogue and taught. And they were astonished at his teaching, for he taught them as one who had authority and not as the scribes. Why did people sense authority in Jesus' presence? How did they recognize this authority and what was so compelling about it? It was his teaching, it says. He taught as one having authority. So it begs the question, what is this teaching that so astonished Jesus' hearers? We don't know. Not a word of Jesus' teaching is remembered here at Capernaum. Whatever it was that so astonished the people was not written down for us to hear. Now, we know that Jesus' teaching was remembered in other places. In some Bibles, everything that Jesus says is recorded and read. Yet it's rather odd that here in Mark's Gospel, where Jesus is called teacher or rabbi over and over again, by disciples, by the crowds, by the Pharisees, very few of his actual teachings are written down or remembered. Why is that? In Mark, there is no Sermon on the Mount, as there was in Matthew. Nor will you find many of the parables that we find in the Gospel of Luke. We'll never know what Jesus taught here in Capernaum. We only know how he taught, as one who had authority and not as the scribes. But that, too, is rather odd. Because authority seems to precisely be what the scribes had. They could claim the authority of written words passed down through many generations. They had the authority of tradition, a kind of laying on of hands from the time of Moses. They had the prestige of religious leadership, the authority of clerical position and power. But somehow Jesus taught with authority surpassing all of these claims somehow more compelling, more authentic to those who heard him. What sort of authority was this? We keep listening, hoping that Mark's gospel will reveal the answer. But suddenly we're interrupted by a madman. Right in the middle of the service, perhaps in the middle of a sermon, we hear a wild voice, disruptive, disjointed, crazy, where were the ushers? Who let this man in? We hear him. What have you to do with us, Jesus of Nazareth? His shouting drowns out the preacher. 
Have you come to destroy us? Us? We look around. There is only one man shouting. Clearly schizophrenic. Multiple personality disorder. I know who you are, the Holy One of God. The preacher comes down from the pulpit, departing from whatever text he had, and confronts the man, or rather the voice. Be silent and come out of him. And the unclean spirit carrying or crying out with a loud voice comes out of the man. So is that what we're left with? Evidence that Jesus' authority was recognized by a crazy man? Can we trust the witness of unclean spirits who acknowledge Jesus? Maybe he's here. <laughs> Interactive sermon. Can we trust the witness of unclean spirits who acknowledge Jesus to be the Holy One of God? We had hoped for something more. Yet over and over in Mark's Gospel, it turns out that it's the demons who know who Jesus is. Those who were crazy called Him the Holy One. Those who were sane put Him to death. And when Jesus died, it was a centurion soldier, an outsider, who proclaimed, truly, this was the Son of God. In Mark's Gospel, Jesus himself is the content of his teaching. The authority is not, in particular, speeches or sayings, but in this particular life. Jesus lived as one who had authority, an authority radically different from the tradition, different from what had been expected. To understand this authority, we must not just listen, we must also look. For we see Jesus eating with tax collectors and sinners. We see Jesus healing on the Sabbath day, Silencing the scribe's objection, not with an answer, but with a question. Is it lawful on the Sabbath day to do good or to do harm, to save a life or to kill? We see Jesus moved by the feisty faith of a Syrophoenician woman who dared to argue with him for the healing of her daughter. We hear questions as a source of truth, and we hear Jesus admitting the limits of his own knowledge. When Jesus spoke about the end of time, he said, Of that day or of that hour no one knows, not even the angels in heaven, nor the Son, but only God. At the end of his life, brought before the council of religious elders and the power of the state, Jesus' authority stands in silence. And Pilate asked him again, Have you no answer to make? See how many charges they bring against you? But Jesus made no further answer, so that Pilate wondered. Though pushed to get rid of Pilate, Pilate could not get Jesus out of his mind. Even in silence, Jesus taught as one who had authority. In Jesus' life, we have seen and heard clues of how his authority was made known in the world. The people in Capernaum were amazed, so that they questioned among themselves. What is this? A new teaching. 
Well, the congregation almost had the right question. The real question is not, what is this? The right question is, who is this? Jesus is not a what, but a who. For centuries, the people had been given volumes of religious what that told them what they had to do and what they had to stop doing. None of it could silence the guilt, the self-doubt, the fear that kept them from God. And so God, the Holy One, came to them and comes to us to silence and to expel whatever keeps us from Him. And He came as an ordinary rabbi named Jesus. And that's very significant. Because according to Mark, the gospel begins with an ordinary religious event, the Sabbath. It was just another Sabbath in the synagogue where the people were following the rituals that they had kept for centuries. But one day, they were astounded and they were amazed with holiness. They were encountered, they were confronted by the who by the Holy One, by a presence. And this is the function of our rituals of worship as well. How many times have each of you taken your place in one of these chairs, come into this room on a Sunday morning, stood up for the song, sat and listened to the word read and proclaimed, bowed your heads in prayer? These elements of worship serve as our familiar rabbis. But the thing is, they don't just present religion, which is a what. They seek to reveal the who, who is in our midst, the Holy One of God. If you were to have ears to hear and eyes to see, you would be astounded by what is possible in worship. Many years ago, I had the opportunity to visit Edinburgh, which is kind of like the Jerusalem for Presbyterians. When I was there, I went into St. Giles Cathedral, where John Knox preached and led the Scottish Reformation. As soon as I entered the doors, I heard the beautiful voice of a visiting choir that was providing a sacred concert. Quietly, I made my way to a pew, and at first I just sat there enjoying the fabulous music of the choir. After completing some of the great works of choral music, the choir concluded by singing Amazing Grace. Like you, I have heard and sung that song more times than I can count. And I'll be honest, and this might come off as sacrilegious, but it's never been my favorite. Maybe it's because I've just heard it so many times. But for some reason, this time, the tears welled up in, the, in my eyes as this familiar old hymn revealed the who, who makes grace amazing. I can't tell you why this happened, I wasn't tortured by guilt. I wasn't fatigued or exhausted. I was on vacation. But the Holy Spirit chose that moment to silence all other voices within me and to reveal the Holy One of God, the Rabbi Jesus, who is the grace of God in our lives. I was once lost, but now am found, was blind, but now I see. I didn't ever want that choir to stop. To be clear, I'm not talking about being inspired or even moved. I'm describing the aha moments, which are available to everyone 
when you realize that it is all about the Holy One who is in our midst. That is what all the law and the prophets, the gospels and the epistles are proclaiming. Jesus the rabbi is so much more than just a teacher. He didn't just come to give us information about God. He came to give us God. As the late historian of Christianity, Yaroslav Pelikan, has said, there are no cathedrals built in honor of Socrates. And there is no hymn about the amazing grace of Cicero. They were just teachers. But to this one who has the authority to bring heaven and earth back together, who can expel the demons that tear our world apart, and who has created a future filled with hope, to this Holy One we have sung and worshipped for 2,000 years. And if you pay attention, you'll be astounded by the amazing grace. Thanks be to God.